Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, or at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats yeah. My dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everybody, welcome back. I hope you've had a great week since the last time that we got together. We have had on and off rain. The garden's been keeping me really super busy with some odd things, but which are really essential to my pets. <laughs> I've got dandelions and I have catnip for the cats. So I've put a couple of reels up on Instagram. So go and check them out. Feeding the tortoise, his dandelions, and drying out the catnip for the cats. So I just wanted to give you that update. And now I'm going to get right into this episode, which is a very important episode. And also at the same time, a really joyous and fascinating episode. My guest this week is Luis Guerra who is a music composer, music arranger, music producer, an amazing musician. He's an award-winning podcast composer. His music can be heard on 18 and a Half, which is a comedy thriller about the infamous 18 and a Half minute gap in the Nixon-Watergate scandal tapes. Far More, a comedy drama, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, a 2017 adventure comedy, Bernard and Huey, and numerous podcasts and soundtracks. He plays the guitar, the bass guitar, ukulele, acoustic bass, dulcimer, harmonica, percussion, and piano. He's also received an Ambi Award for Best Original Score and Music Supervision. In addition to all of that, he's also dealing with MS, multiple sclerosis, So this is the first of a two-part episode. This episode is going to be an introduction of Luis, his background, how he got into music. The next episode will be covering some of the challenges that he experiences with MS, bringing awareness to the disease, and hopefully a cure. And I wanted to point that out because... I'm going to be putting links in the show notes on how to follow Luis, find out what's going on. And on his Instagram account, he has a fundraiser specifically to raise funds for research for multiple sclerosis and its cure. So I hope that you will be able to reach out and provide a little bit of support towards that Just check out the show notes at the end of this episode. But in the meantime, please grab a cuppa and join my friend Luis Guerra and I 
in this episode of In the Company of Friends. Enjoy. My background is my family's from Costa Rica, so I always fall back on my Spanish pronunciation of what appears to me to be a Spanish name, although I'm sure that Luis could be from a variety of different backgrounds. Yeah. Well, um, are you recording me? I can't see anything being recorded into my track, so I just want to make sure before I respond to that because, you know, my wife, she has Costa Rican blood as well. Oh, really? Yes, I do see my little zigzags here. So I sure hope that it's being recorded. Okay, cool. Anyway, yeah, my wife, her mom was Costa Rican. She's now deceased, but so we actually have Costa Rican blood in my family now. And um, oh, that's amazing. I'm on a Tico chat, like on WhatsApp. I rarely have time to respond, but they're always throwing jokes and <laughs> sending pictures of these amazing places. I'm like, I just want to go live there, you know, and travel there again. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful place and it's so diverse. I still have family there. My aunt was always telling me, you know, whenever you have a chance, come out, you can stay at my place. And I was sitting at work one day and I just, my daughter's name is Sophia. I texted her, do you want to go to Costa Rica? I was just daydreaming. And she said, yes. So I... Who's going to say no, right? I guess some people like, I don't know, will I get robbed? I'm like, not in Costa Rica, most likely, but anyway. We went and we had such a great time. You know, we, of course, went to the beaches, which Costa Rica is known about. We went to the rainforest, but we ended up in this little town called Sarcedo, Mm. which is kind of inland and it's mountainous and it's almost like this tropical Swiss community (laughs) and Mm. They're actually known for their cheeses and they have these little like Swiss homes. You know, there's no snow, but there's definitely mountains and it was pretty cold while we were there. Yeah, it's such a like diverse country and it changes climates on you literally like, I mean, it's right there. Just go up a little elevation and you are, it's cold and it's rainy and there's a volcano or whatever, or you go lower and it's just hot and sweaty and you're on the, I mean, you're getting bit by bugs. It's just, it's, I love it. (laughs) I really do love that place. I love parts of Mexico. I love um, Guatemala. I just love Central America and South America, really. It's just like, God, I could just spend so much time. <laughs> just So traveling. many beautiful right. places. <laughs> yeah. Where? What's your background? My background, uh, my mother's Jewish and her family, they were like New York Jews. Um, she's sort of the last um, descendant there. And my dad, he's Mexican-American, uh, but his family, they're all northern Mexico and then down to like Mexico City. So we definitely have primos. We have cousins all over um and family, kind of extended family all around northern Mexico. Um, and there's definitely an indigenous factor there, you know, like on both of his parents' bloodline. And then, uh, of course, there was a Spanish contingent with Guerra, which I guess dates back to like, oh, I don't know, 1500s, late 1500s mm-hmm. that arrived in Mexico. So I identify as Chicano because, mainly because I grew up with my dad in San Antonio. And so that culture did kind of sit with me. But really, when I break it down, I'm probably more, I have just a slight amount of more Jewish blood based on my mom's lineage. Now I live in Los Angeles. I've been here for quite some time. And a lot of my friends are of the Jewish tradition, Jewish faith. They invite us, uh, my family, to a lot of holidays and events. And so and whether it's bar mitzvahs or, you know, Seder dinners or whatever. And so now I'm starting to feel Jewish, actually, for the first time in my life. Oh, wow. I love those people. Um, I love hanging out with all my friends there. But really, I don't 
I mean, it's just, I'm just kind of a mix. Um, I'm, I, I'm not one thing or another. We're all sort of mixed in America, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I know that Jewish is both a culture and a religion. You would actually be Jewish based on the maternal lineage what, of exactly. one of those, right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And my mom didn't really practice. So there was very little religious tradition on her side. But culturally, she really does identify with sort of Jewish culture and more so even like American Jewish culture, whatever that is, East Coast that is gone. She um, she lived on the West Coast for a while. Um, she's bounced around. But it, it, there is, I feel like, a sort of a thing about or there is a distinction. Um, and I won't get into it because I have not spent time in Israel. But Definitely my friends that have or are Israeli, they definitely mention more than once to me specifically that I'm more like their Jewish friends from New York or, you know, I guess L.A. now, but um, than anywhere. So I think there is a cultural sensibility, but um, I don't necessarily know as much about the religious tradition because I didn't grow up with it at all. Like zero. I was I was raised as a Catholic, more on the Mexican side or Latino side, but which was very mixed with like superstition <laughs> and curanderismo. And I kind of grew up in that world and I still sort of exist and not I'm not Catholic. I don't really practice any religion per se, but I definitely believe in sort of what I learned in, you know, my Latin American travels and my cultural heritage. And I can't help but acknowledge that there's some religion dogma that probably I learned so early on in my life that is probably still maintains to this day. You know, just my worldview and my bias toward the world is probably influenced by Catholicism to some degree, for better or worse. <laughs> I was almost going right. to say unfortunately. <laughs> I'm going to try to be neutral. I'm going to try to be neutral as I can in this conversation. <laughs> it's that, uh, that <laughs> whole recovering Catholic idea right (laughs) that's what i grew up with too and i i'm not of any particular religion or tradition but i did have a lot of friends who are jewish i worked at a place where like 90 percent of the people there were jewish and so i was really fortunate to be invited to bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and a lot of different events and there's just so many beautiful traditions and just going over to their homes it was really lovely. I love it. And I love all my friends and they've really embraced my, me and my family in, in Los Angeles, which is just awesome. My daughter has a lot of friends of the Jewish faith. They're just some of my closest friends they have become over the years. And they kind of accept our sort of, I don't know, non-traditional approach to living and me as a creative person and my daughter, who's just like, she's an awesome musician in her own right. And it's just really cool to find that like, there's no judgment, there's no bias, there's no, we don't really discuss politics or religion very often, but there's just a sort of warmth and acceptance that I did not feel very much growing up Catholic. I felt very, there was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of bias. There was a lot of, I'm not trying to like dish on the, uh, you know, Catholic religion. Cause I mean, right. there's more acceptance. Um, and I do have friends that are Catholic that I love very much as well. Um, I'm just saying where I grew up was very much, it was probably colonial in the sense it was still a holdover. There was still that mentality. And I think Catholicism did play a large part in how the Americas were settled. Um, and it was sort of ingrained, you know, and it was kind of taken like you guys just practice Catholicism unless you are a colonizer. And then you could be like, I don't know, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian or Christian outside of the Catholic religion. So it was very interesting. And it definitely happened in my family. I saw it a lot. You know, there was um, there's a lot of obligation to practice religion and whatnot. But uh, my Jewish friends, there's just never an obligation. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's 
Definitely a big difference. And I guess you would notice that colonialism, especially in San Antonio and through San Antonio and El Paso and all that, so close to the border. There's that very Catholic, very Hispanic influence, right? Very much so. And there's very much an identity and a... I think, you know, it's just very different the way I was raised versus, say, the way my daughter is growing up in Los Angeles. And I just feel like there's just so much possibility here in L.A. Um, There always has been. Um, There's creative people. And that's, I feel like, the pervasive sort of cultural fingerprint that kind of runs through and correlates through sort of the larger population. And I'm speaking very generally because Los Angeles is such a mishmash of things, whereas in San Antonio, there was a bit of a identity. Um, what's the word? I mean, there was it was sort of based on the assumption. There were a lot of assumptions. There was a lot of assumed things. And one of them was like creative people or creativity was not necessarily embraced. I mean, there was pockets, but it was very traditional and it was very kind of neo-colonial and it was very religious. And so, you know, through that kind of lens, you would make decisions and people made their decisions. And a lot of people just, you know, they stuck around, they stayed there and it's very comfortable. I don't blame them. I'm just saying that wasn't for me. So I had to leave very early, (laughs) early on, you know, right? um, which I did. And, you know, for better or worse, my parents had split up. And my mom landed in the Bay Area. And when we sort of reconnected, I was a little older because she left. I don't know what happened exactly, but she left and she left four kids with my dad. And he kind of he raised us for a while. But eventually we reconnected with her and I started going to the Bay Area. And that's when really like my sort of like music education and my love for music really sort of started to blossom. And I started started to see like, oh, people, can, they were living this. They were doing that. And in Texas, South Texas specifically, I didn't know many people until I moved to Austin as a teenager, but I really didn't know people doing music. (laughs) Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. You know what I mean? You know, so that was interesting. But I knew a lot of people that were business or they were medicine or, you know, they were lawyers or they, you know, government. They had a career. That was the trajectory for them. And, you know, cool. More power to them. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's just very different. I, I don't know how I ended up exactly with this worldview, but I sort of, sort of stayed in music and, uh, I've eventually landed in a place where it's, yes, there are people that it's possible to make a living doing music. I embrace it. You know, I embrace it. And I embrace creative people <laughs> that think outside the box. You know? Right. Were you drawn to music while you were still in San Antonio and just found that yeah, really, it wasn't going to yeah. be an avenue for you if you stayed there? Yeah, it was sort of like, I think my dad just somehow caught wind or he knew, like, I think he played music when he was young. He played in like marching bands and stuff, but then he got drafted into Vietnam and he pursued medicine and he just pursued a much more formalized version of his life. But at one point he played clarinet, he played saxophone and he knew about music. And I know my grandfather also was like, he was like a music director briefly or like a band director for like high school. So he knew how to play piano and they sort of they knew the power of music somewhere in there. So my dad was very much like, look, kids, four of us, he's like, y'all are all going to learn how to play an instrument and read and write. So I actually was introduced to music very, very early on. That's fantastic. Probably like five or six. I started playing. um, I remember like first drum lessons were, I couldn't have been older than seven. So I actually was like exposed very early on. There was guitars. There was a piano at the house um, or eventually there was a piano and I have two older sisters and an older brother. They all went into music at some point. My two older sisters could play piano. Like I have an older sister that could just sit down and, you know, she could read and just probably still can, can to this day, um, really paid attention during her lessons. I was a little more 
probably had ADHD, probably still have it to some extent. And <laughs> I just kind of bounced around. I was like, oh, guitar, I'm going to play guitar. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm like, I hate this. And I'm like, I'm going to go play piano. <laughs> and so I think at a certain point, my dad's like, whatever you do. And I was the youngest. He's just like, good luck, you know, and eventually I gravitated towards the bass guitar and eventually towards acoustic bass, like as a teenager, really at around 11, 12. And I got very deep into the study because my dad threw down, he he paid for uh, private lessons. And that just opened me up to an incredible world of, wow, you can play music, you can read, you can write, you can do all these things with it. And, and for somebody like myself, I love to learn. And so he sort of helped me, but I don't think that my dad really ever thought it would turn into a career. In fact, I don't think any of us did really. Like, I think it was sort of like good luck. I mean, nobody else in my family pursued it, but I don't know. I just stuck with it. And um, yeah, it started very early on in my life and it's been a through line and I've tried to leave it multiple times. I'm just like, I got to do something else. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but I've just stuck with it, you know what I mean? And I love it. I love it. I could see how having this amazing world opened up to you where, like you said, you could play it, you could read it, you could write it, you could do all of this. It would kind of focus you on some of that ADHD. And and I also have to add that yeah. I think a lot of creative people have ADHD. I, I know I do. And, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I, I think that that's that kind of a feature of being creative. So I think it's like, it's a spectrum, right? I think we have a number of conditions that are sort of, we're just trying to stay tethered. And I think there's been times in my life where it's been very challenging for the groups that I've played with or performed with or worked with, because it's hard to keep me doing just like one thing, right? Over and over and over. And that was sort of became my problem with like, I, I eventually started getting a lot of work as a bass player, like, cause I could play, I could read, you know, I knew a little bit about arrangement, but I knew how to like go into a studio, focus, play the parts. I practice my instruments all the time. So like I was, I was really into that and it really did turn into a career for me early on. And I didn't even, I, I look back on that. Like I could only imagine how difficult I was to work with, you know, at that point, <laughs> because I just was like, let's try this. Let's do that. You know, I'm like, let's I'm game, but it wasn't my session. I was just like hired gun. And so I really didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I knew the technical sort of side of music, which I still, it's like, I use it all the time. And I'm very grateful for that, you know, early on that exposure. I feel like a lot of music is sort of spoon fed to us now, like the way to learn it. You know, there's all these programs and apps and it's just very different, you know? And I remember even later in my life, when I was in my thirties, I think, and I had a great orchestration arranging teacher from, from uh, Cuba, from Cuba, who just would kick my ass over and over. And he would like literally ask me to show up without an instrument. I couldn't touch any of his instruments. It was all learning how to like read and write, or it was like almost retraining my brain to write music with just a pencil and paper and a relative staff because I don't have perfect pitch. It was pretty fascinating. I got to say it's still I think about that a lot because I, I employ that, but there's no way that would have happened if I didn't have the education early on that stuck with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just no way like I would have been like, um, I don't know. <laughs> well, right. I don't know. <laughs> you know, so to have that level of discipline all of a sudden kind of foisted yeah. on you. I mean, that yeah. and that takes a lot of discipline within yourself to not touch anything. I'm sure that, you know, he was telling you don't touch this or I'm not going to be training you any longer, but I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. Honestly, I remember leaving there a couple of times. I tell my daughter about it. I remember leaving those lessons. I'm in my thirties, right? Like I'm a grown person, adult, have a house, you know, all that. 
you know, responsible. I remember leaving there crying. Like I was just like, like I was broken from the interaction because you would just realize like how little you knew or I did. Right. Like I was like, it was the reflection of like, wow, I really don't know shit about music. You know what I mean? Like then there's that level and you're like, wow, you know, just in awe, but kind of shocked at the same time because it's just so humbling, right. To real. And that's what I feel like is so great about a creative discipline in your life, whether you do it professionally, amateur, just dabble, whatever. It's just so humbling if you allow for it to give you the constant reminder, if you're open to that. If you think you know it, well, then you probably picked the wrong. I think that's that applies to many careers. But I know with music, you don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's impossible. It's too deep. The ocean's too deep, right? It's like, you're not going to ever hit the bottom. You're just, there's just no way you're going to ever touch the bottom like and not in a metaphorical like oh i'm gonna hit the bottom of i'm just saying like there's just too much information there's there's too many directions and so from somebody like me it really did start to tether me to some degree otherwise i don't know what i would be doing i'd probably be an insane i I don't know what i would be doing at this point I, i i worry about that um but it worked out you know and it's worked out and it continues to and there's also something about the hard connection that's not necessarily theoretical um, that I've learned over the years that I can't say that some of my teachers really exemplified. They really showed me that. They didn't ever talk to me about that, right? And I think that's a very strong, powerful part of this discussion. And you you learn that early on. Um, and then, you know, your life plays out and it, and it happens, right? Trauma and mm-hmm. you know, good ups and downs. And I think music, for me, it's been a great sort of vehicle um, way to transcend some of that and really like rely on that to be just that, that it's been therapeutic for me. That has been religion for me. That has been grounding for somebody like me who, you know, I do need that. Um, I think we all do. I think as people, I think that's, and I don't know, I'm going on a tangent, but like, that's, that's sort of where this is all, I mean, that's. If I didn't have that early on, there is no way that any of these other experiences would have took place. Yeah, no, I love that. I That's how I feel with writing a lot of times. It It is pouring yourself into something and there's that cathartic element about it and that vastness. And I think that that is what makes it so alluring. Like I am never, mm-hmm. no matter how much I write and then with you, no matter how much how much you do with music you are never going to be able to do everything that's available to you. And that's pretty amazing. It's endless. Endless. If you open yourself, if you allow for that, I know people that like they get so good on an instrument, like one instrument or like a group of instruments, they sort of, they're become masters in this life, so to speak, but they do not dabble in composition or arranging or production, which are whole, they're entirely, they're, they're crafts to themselves that literally would take decades to, um, to amass the information that they have, like on one instrument, right? And that is something that is very interesting to me. Like you dedicate and you find fulfillment from one thing. I did not, I was not able to do that. I still am not able to do that from like one instrument, one vehicle. And it's a very interesting observation, I got to say, you know, and that's for really anybody. That's for people that do anything that they're passionate about, that they feel like is endless. That's like, right now I'm deep into like learning about neurology and neuroscience because I have, um, we'll get to that. But like, that is fascinating when I listen to podcasts or when I speak to my neurologist or I speak with somebody who's studying it, it is so expansive, right? And you're like, 
I thought I was doing something that was felt endless. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. So it's, well, I think it's it's having that curiosity. I think curiosity is a seed to a lot of different um, options that are available to each of us. And you know, you could, as a composer, you could write so much about exactly what you're talking about this n- neurology. And I really. I would love to talk about music and like what it does to people and uh, just the inspiration, because I really feel like there are so many people out there that just don't realize that they have that spark. They just they've been shut. It's been shut down. You know what I mean? And if there is anything that I could say or do in my life, it's like I want to sort of as best as I can uplift people to explore their own potential, right? Whether they're writing or cooking or teaching yoga or doing law or whatever it is, whoever shut that down, because it did happen to me at some point, you know, with other disciplines. Um, there was a point where I wanted to be a writer, right? But I had like one, it was like one English teacher was like, no, you should stick with music because you can't, basically it's like, you kind of suck at writing. So why don't you just stick with what you're good oh, at? No. You know? And it's like, I really wanted to write at one point in my life, but I guess from whoever the lens of whoever was in charge, they were like, yeah. But then as I look at it now as a 48 year old person, Latino male, here's this white woman who's telling me is like, a again, Latino teenager. And she probably knew that one fucking thing about where I was coming from in terms of my identity. Probably just shut down because it's like, yo, this is too radical for me to understand. And I feel like, Unfortunately, that still plays out in our society so much. So if anything that I can say or do, it's really the like, if you feel like you're inspired to try something, like go for it. Because I'm telling you, your life can change and it can end and then you didn't try it. And then it's only you to feel bad about that. And it will cause some negativity. I'm sorry if you allow for it. And and I really hope that like spreading that awareness, that positivity through podcasting, through you know, interviews through writing now through all that shit. That's very important part of this. Anyway, not to, um, I, I, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that if you have the spark within yourself to communicate, we have, Mm -hmm. you know, we can communicate with words. Clearly everybody knows that, but I think there's so many other avenues of communicating. You mentioned food, which wasn't even on my radar Mm -hmm. until you mentioned it, Mm -hmm. but you can make a, dish with love and those are the dishes that everybody remembers you know my grandmother used to make xyz and it was so amazing and when you recreate that dish you feel that emotional connection again you open it back up and music definitely has that ability whenever i listen to music I always feel like I'm listening to a foreign language Mm -hmm. that I can't speak, but I can understand it. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I think that that is true of any endeavor Mm -hmm. that anybody embarks on. You can do it with love and you should listen to your spark. You should listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't let other people, you know, make you second guess your ability because you might not be at that place that you want to be, whoever you're. That's right role model is that you really want to emulate you might not be there yet but you will get there with practice and and then that makes those voices disappear eventually right i think so and i think it's like i think what you're alluding to is love i'm sort of 
I'm sort of making drawing a parallel that I use very often, which is intention, right? It's like intentional cooking. Mm. It's like intentional composition. It's intentional embracing. It's intentional, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think about that a lot, like our intention that we do. Like if I'm, if I'm writing something, I'm really pissed off. It generally sounds pissed off. And that might connect for the right, say I'm writing a Q&A, dramatic, suspenseful, you know, movie. Sure, that might work. But if I'm writing for something that's supposed to be comedic and dark, it might not work. And then there's a disconnect because really I was in the wrong place and I was just trying to like deliver something based on a deadline. And so I think it isn't always possible to hit or to, to just like connect the intention or the love with what we're doing. I'm just I want to be clear about that because people are like, well, I don't know. How do you do it? You know, and I get I get asked this frequently, like, well, why are you getting the jobs that you get? Right. And it's come up many times, especially with better musicians, because it's such a competitive, hyper competitive world we live in across outside of music. Right. And I do this a lot. I tell people, well, I'm like, well, I meditate a lot. And they're like, well, what do you meditate on? I'm like, well, I have my own meditations. I do a lot of breath work. I do a lot of yoga. I do. I eat plant based. I do all these things in my day to day, my daily practice, my discipline to help me get to a point where I am ready to write a piece of music. That is what I'm doing. That's it. And it's like, what is best for the piece of music? But it's taken me, let's say, three, three ish decades to get to that point. Let's say that it's been 15 years of practicing major health problem, right? A not easy childhood, you know, and like there's been enough turmoil in the world outside of me where I'm I am observing that that does influence me. I'm just making the point that it, it's not an overnight process. So you might as well get started back to like what you would what you said earlier. It's like, go for it because you're not going to necessarily connect with it right now. But the intention, if you come correct, no matter what stage you are at, whether it's like, you know, changes the world. If your intention is clear and pure, it's like you're already poising yourself for success, quote unquote, or you're already going to establish a connection just based on that. And I stand by that very much because I've seen it play out in my life and I've seen it play out opposite in people that are like so competitive and they might be so great technically, but where what's happening with their heart? Have they done the work? Have they done what it takes to really connect what they're in, like, is their intention behind what they're doing? Or is it just like going through the motions? Because there's a lot of people that will go through the motions in everything we've discussed so far, cooking, music, writing, filmmaking, blah, 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 blah. But what about the people that really are intentional when they do it? Now, all of a sudden, they are already in the top 2%. Now out of that, yes, you got to get better. And <laughs> there's no substitute for the hard work. But it does start with that love. It does start with that, in my opinion, the intention. And that intention is really a lot of folk. It's kind of taking yourself out of the equation is what it sounds like a little bit and focusing Absolutely. and having that discipline of what is it that I'm trying Absolutely. to accomplish here. Absolutely. And I've seen it so much with just composers in like my circle they just bail they're like i don't want to hear notes i don't want to take notes from somebody and i'm like but it's collaborative man like or woman or whoever like you're collaborating you're on a team why don't you want somebody to give you you know in my mind but that's after going through that like yeah fuck whatever these people have to tell me like they don't know shit you know like getting upset right. about it and realizing why am i getting upset you know what i mean just because my ego got crushed well then that's really a reflection of me right it's really like yes and and to get to that place it's like only time 
age experience. Like there is no shortcut to it. I know a few people that can get to it earlier, but it's a lot of hard. I'm not work. one of those people. <laughs> and does being intentional about what you're doing. I know that you hear a lot about these mental blocks, you know, like I got this writer's mm-hmm. block or composer's block. Does this really help you with that? It does. I think, you know, Definitely, it doesn't hurt to set it up as a business and have deadlines and people like, hey, Luis, where's the blah, blah, blah? We asked you for on Tuesday and it's Thursday. You know, I mean, and it happens sometimes, but most of the time I'm like the schedule or whatever. But I do. I take on a lot of things. I have a hard time saying no. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that there is that aspect. But there's also the aspect of like when I get stuck for me, it's like time to go walk or time to go cook or clean or clean my house or I don't know, take a break and come back and look at it again and see if I can connect to that. Or it's time to like meditate, really. Like a lot of times it's like, I need to close my eyes. I need to meditate on something completely different. Maybe sometimes I'm meditating on the problem and trying to solve that and go into sort of this alpha state if I can, if I have the time, the bandwidth. It's like, I really am trying to like, what is the musical problem I'm trying to solve? Because in my mind, everything can be solved. Everything is a sort of problem, but that doesn't necessarily mean that my headspace or what's happened to me that I'm in the right place. So yes, I feel like the intention helps me kind of get over those hurdles, but it's not like, it's not uh, it's not a silver bullet. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. There are other factors to play. If I'm having a really bad physical health day, it's like, it's going to be impossible to do anything. Like I'm just, it's disabled. I'm disabled, right? For that time period. And that's just the reality. And that's sort of the reality of, you know, living with this condition that I've unfortunately had to realize, right? It's like, oh shit, it really can pull you out of the game. And just sort of being like, well, okay, there's nothing I can do. It's out of my control. And all of my intention in my I can't think myself through, I can't think around it. I can't think myself through it. I just have to kind of go through this and get to a place where hopefully I can solve the problem, maybe a little more focused. Maybe I have the tools or maybe somebody is going to help me out at that point in time, which has happened a lot. And realize that I'm just one person. I'm just human. And, you know, it's okay. I think intention and writer's block and composer's block and like all those things also have a companion. And that is compassion. Compassion for ourselves that we don't necessarily have to have all the answers when we're supposed to. Like, it's okay. You know what I mean? And like shit really does happen. And it's beyond our control. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people, they don't realize that. They just feel pressure. I know I'm one that leans on the pressure and the and kind of the anxiety or the stress but really it's okay and if you're around people that are just constantly feeding you stress and like it's got to get done you got to do this and why is this not working and blah 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 it's like maybe you need to rethink who you're around right and who you're spending your time with and find yourself around people that are positive and a little more grounding and i'm not saying that's an easy i'm not saying go on match.com and start finding people okay. like oh this person sounds i'm just saying that it's like there a big part of what we're talking about is energy and it starts with ourselves and it's taken me a long long i mean it's taken most of my life to even get to this place where we can even have the discussion about it but i am also saying that there's truth in that and that also helps me get around these problems because it does happen where i'm like oh shit 
I got to write 10 cues. Like I was just thinking about this this weekend because I'm like, oh man, you know, these people were trying to reach out to me all week and like, you know, whatever app they were trying to message me on was like down for whatever it was on my phone. It was just like, probably, I probably need to update my phone <laughs> and I'll get around to it. But, but the point was, it's like, I don't want to leave anybody hanging. You know what I mean? Like, I really don't like, I'm not trying to harm anybody through this, but they are relying on me, you know, and I have a contract and it's like, okay. I am going to write music and get it to you by the end of the weekend. It might not be the 10 cues that we talked about, but it's going to be five that you're going to be very excited about. And I'll send you stems and it's going to all work out. Right. And just hearing that by a producer, hearing the composer, like, cool, you're on it. Yay. Thank you. Right. It just relieves stress now. Yes, of course it's on me. Yes, of course I got to go and do my job and I can't fuck it up. And yes, of course, but I'm not worried about that. I'm really concerned that these people were stressing out because they could not reach me. And none of them wanted to violate my privacy of calling me or texting me on my phone, which I really do try to like, look, hit me up. Like, I don't care. I mean, I might not hit you back immediately, but it's just stress. It's unnecessary stress. And I just, I feel bad, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't want a car for anybody. And yet, okay. Then it means I got to work on the weekend. Okay, well, you know, all right, I run my own business. It's like, that's just part of the deal, but. Goes with the territory. And and I think that part of that is also worrying about what the dialogue is that's getting spun because your mm-hmm. phone is not updated, right? And so you there's mm-hmm. where this, the stress then bounces back to you and it's, it's this miscommunication. Yeah. And it happens, right? As the deeper you get into this, because your intentions get you there or your talent gets you there, the more complicated it's going to become. So get ready. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or update your phone or get somebody to do it. But it's like, literally, that's such a, not a concern of mine. You know what I mean? Like my phone, I'm like, yeah, whatever. My phone. Yes, it's still. Why is my phone screwing up? It's like two years old. Why is it about? Technology. You know, I don't even want to go down. Technology, I think, has just made everything so much more difficult. So complicated. It's so much more complicated, right? <laughs> it has made everything so much more Anyway, we can have that conversation. Oh, my gosh. I was going to ask you, though, because you were just talking about how when you hit that block or you hit that feeling of stress and and you you gave a lot of solutions to it, you know, going for a walk, cleaning your house, um, removing yourself from people who are producing stress and anxiety responses within you. But one of the things that you did mention was meditation. How do you meditate? What are the the steps that you take to get yourself back to a grounded Mm. place? Mm, good question. That's a really great, you know, I heard an interview on Trevor Noah, I think of not long ago. No, sorry. It was a TEDx talk. It was a um, young person. I'm spacing on her name. She was interviewed by Trevor Noah, but I heard her TEDx talk or TED talk. And it was really great what she was saying. She's like, and I think she goes, she uses she, she might go by they mm-hmm. anyway. So if I'm saying this wrong, incorrectly, I, my apologies, you know, but, um, so I'm going to try to refer to them as they, anyway, so they were mentioning that Instead of approaching your day as just like, I got to be productive. I got to be, it's all about how much I can do. It's really about wellness first and then productivity. And it's a conversation. I'm lucky. I'm in a building with somebody that I've known for many, since I met him when I was 17. And he's a very successful record producer. And he's invited me into his building twice now. This is where my studio is. And we have like two studios and we work on projects. And one thing he has told me over and over is like, look, I surf every day. You know, he lives by the ocean and he's like, I try to surf every day. And if I can't, it really does affect 
what I'm doing. He's like, but that's first and foremost before I go to the studio and really you know, crank out whatever for four to five hours. And so for me, I'm much more effective when I'm not burnt out, when I have slept, when I have meditated, when I've done yoga, when I've eaten healthy, which I do, right? I, I have to because of this condition and I have no choice anymore, right? So like I've stopped drinking alcohol. I've really made some radical changes. And, and my point is all of those things take time. So I'm not going to work 12 hour days anymore. Like, I mean, if I have to be on a deadline, I would rather work over a weekend, three hours on a Saturday, you know, a couple hours on a Sunday, crank something out on six hours on a Monday. Now that's me, right? And that works for my lifestyle. And the reason I'm saying that is because I'm spending so much time resetting, self-caring, meditating. I'm changing my meditation. I mean, I do a couple of the same ones, but um, I'm just trying to stay open to possibilities and realize that there are different meditations and there's different mindfulness practices that are very, 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 very powerful for me to, you know, employ in my daily situation before I get to the studio. So when I go to the studio, it's all about like, okay, I'm going to like work on whatever I got to work on, you know, two cues, three cues, a theme song, a blah, blah, blah. Um, today I'm writing something for, you know, a really big streaming company that we all use their service. And so it's like the pressure's on. You can't screw that up. You right. know, it's to the frame. I like, that, you know, but the pressure is really not on because I've already gone through a meditation this morning about not feeling pressure and not really, they're just people. Right. And it's just, it is a company. And yes, of course, they can squash me and they could blacklist me if they wanted to, if they were, somebody really had the time to do that, if I really messed this up. But at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, right? And it's sort of the realization and remembering that like, really, nobody is out to get me. That's something that I learned very early on in my childhood that I thought everybody was out to get me, right? And I ruminated on that and I ruminated and we're talking years and years and years. And so like, I really set up a negative loop that I'm still to this day trying to break. So part of my meditation is just to be functional throughout my day, which is creative largely because I have structured my life around, I've made this my job. And because I've made this my job, that means I get paid money for it, which means that there is this sort of, I have a contract and people, there's an expectation. So if I pull myself out of that all of a sudden because I just want to make something for my own self and like, screw, blah, blah, blah. I don't care what they need. Well, it's not necessarily going to play out very well. So for me, the meditation, I mean, I guess I guess it changes, but it's very much about trying to get my mind to just focus on what has to happen right now or at this moment in time. Like right now, we're doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. When I hang up with you, it's like I am back to composing because I do have a I have multiple deadlines going and I feel the pressure. But I'm not going to succumb to the pressure and go freak out my wife and my 15 year old daughter because they're already feeling the stress that I have for something that is really affecting all of us, right? That we all have to deal with. And that is multiple sclerosis, which we can get to. But music to me is still positive. It's a gift. I'll deal with it. And meditation is the tool that sort of helps me. It's my guiding light. It sort of quiets my mind and lets me realize like, okay, calm down, take a breath sit down when you're done with your call with the podcast i wish i don't want to like cancel this which i thought about i was like oh my oh, god no. how am i gonna like <laughs> you know i'm freaking out but it's like no we should have this conversation and i should learn how to be like it, it's all for a reason and so it's like allowing myself to realize that everything has its place and its time and 
you know, again, intention, like putting my best intention. Great. But I wouldn't have that prior to not meditating for years and doing yoga for years. I mean, like I've been doing yoga since my twenties on and off. And now I've been doing it for like the last six years, like every day, pretty much that changes your neuroplasticity as time goes. I wish I'd been meditating that long, but I kind of blew it off because I had problems with my own ego. Like, oh, I got this shit, man. I'm cool. I know what I'm doing, but no, really you don't. And the universe is there sort of to like help guide you to solve some of these problems because there are going to be problems. There's going to be moments where you're like, I really don't know what to write. You know, for me, it's like, I really don't know what to compose. And like, they really want a John Williams sounding <laughs> piece. And I'm not John Williams, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to lie, you know? And so it's like, but I'm going to do what I do. Right. And then if they don't like it, okay, uh, next, like I got to find those people that really support what I'm doing and they don't really talk to me about it because they trust me. And that's a huge other part that I would love to talk about through meditation. You start to find the energetic sources if you're open to it, right? Of course, that really will allow for you to succeed. And I think as creative people, that is such an important part of this discussion is really building your team and really finding the people that they just trust you. And that trust for me came from like having to break down the layers of mistrust, right? The, the rumination. And the only way I, I could access it, like me, Luis, it was through meditation, right? Now, you can ask me specific meditations that I practice and I could tell you, but they really do change. They have changed over the years. And right now I'm doing meditations for health. So I'm doing a lot of like breath work, like Kundalini for me. And some people are like, well, I hate Kundalini. And those are people that wear all white and they're like, you know, whatever, the rich people and whatever. And I'm like, okay, you can have that bias, but it's also but it's like, working for you. It's working very well. And it's like, it's not just that, but I understand there's a lot of bias. I know I'm a crazy person. And you could say like, <laughs> oh, that guy's like goes to Santa Monica and does sound healing. And you could take that approach and that bias. But the bottom line is that I'm actually reshaping the way my brain sort of operates and I'm still composing. And I'm still slowing the progression of a neurodegenerative disease. So you tell me, does it work? Does it not work? I'm going to err on the side that it does work. (laughs) So I'm not going to stop as long as I can. And it sounds like the nice thing about meditation, what I'm getting out of it is, um, you know, listening to something that I can definitely connect with is that idea that every and everybody is out to get me. And I grew up with that too. And I know we don't really have the time today to get into it. So, you know, we'll have some conversation another time, I hope. But I think yeah, it's absolutely. it's kind of connected with growing up with that Catholicism and maybe even as somebody with, with a Latin background or a Chicano background, Hispanic background, I mm-hmm. think that that's kind of mm-hmm. a little bit indigenous in that. And then that mm-hmm. idea, yeah. that toughness also that goes along with that, right? You get a little bit cocky. I don't need this meditation. And mm-hmm. being able to meditate mm-hmm. kind of allows you to switch that cockiness and that self-doubt into a milder confidence that opens up the idea that I can build a team of people and allows you to see the good people that are out there rather than focusing on the ones that are out to get you. Absolutely. And there are certainly there are right. And it is a high, I work in a hyper, hyper, hyper competitive, like a cutthroat industry. I know that, but not everybody is out is, is that way. Right. right? And it's sort of like, right. I keep going back to that. Like, if it's great, it's going to find its way. And it's hard to like make something great. Because I remember like, coming to Los Angeles in the 90s and just being like, God, the black eyed peas, like, come on, this is like bullshit. <laughs> and then my friend's like, yeah, you could go try to make a hit record. I was like, Oh, yeah, bam, like, just like, you're right. 
what who am I to say anything about anybody that has actually been able to connect their music on such a massive scale? I have not. Well, I'm looking at it now. It's like maybe maybe I'm starting to get into that place to some degree. But like I don't write hit records. I write theme music. I write background instrumental music. I write score. I write vibe. I write the mood. Now you strip that away. It's one thing. And yes, there are millions of people listening to my composition. Millions and millions. Like I'm not going to downplay that. But the reality is like there is no way I would have been able to even begin to compose that when I was so biased and not humble and so cocky and so kind of angry and angsty. And I still am. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that hasn't totally gone away. But meditation is one way to just be humble and be like, you're not going to win every job. You're just not going to knock it out of the park every time. And that's okay. And you just keep trying you keep moving forward. And cool, if you're okay with it. Because some people really don't. I think at the end of the day, it's like some people really don't have an option to do something different. I feel like to some degree, I've fallen into that category in terms of music. Like, yes, if I lost my limbs tomorrow, it would be very difficult. Yes, I might have to go get a different job because I'm not rich, mm -hmm. right? Um, I can't retire. But for now, I can do this. And it's it would be very difficult to transition into like a corporate nine to five. I just know that about myself, right? And so this sort of allows for me to do it. So I'm going to try to do that. But I really have to approach the relationship with music with love and compassion, or it's just going to humble me over and over. And I'm not going to, I'm just not going to do justice by it, right? And I'm only saying that now after years and years of trying to go through, starting from a place where like, of like you said, like, you know, you're cocky or you're arrogant. And I'm not going to pin that on Latino culture, on macho culture specifically. But yes, I definitely grew up around people that like they were badass. Mm -hmm. They knew it and they they emulated that. They reminded me of it, you know, and they downplayed like, when are you going to do something, you know, legit with your life, Luis? You know, I'd hear that from my uncles, not just one. I'd hear that throughout my <laughs> And I'm sure there was some bias. Eventually, my dad was probably like, he is chosen this. He's a fucking musician, right? Sissy boy. I mean, I'm saying this like this is the kind of stuff that I'm like, I have to leave this toxic environment because I really I'm not going to react very positively to this. So let's go be around people that are like, awesome. Well, I write music, too, and we should hang out. Let's go have a beer. Let's go eat. Let's go. Let's hang out. Let's listen to records. It's like, oh, thank now, God. Finding My your, people, your right? tribe, right? It's that is finding your tribe and like Look, if you're open to it, there are a lot of people out there in the world that they need people. They need ideas. They want ideas. They're open to it. But you have to be open to connecting with them or it's never going to happen. It just won't. And being aware, being aware that the environment that you're currently in is not feeding you on multiple essential levels and, you know, going out there like, what's that saying? Shine your weird light bright so that the rest of the weirdos in the world can find you. You know, you kind of, exactly. um, you kind of need to do that because I think that when you're in a place that you don't feel comfortable in, you do feel weird. And there's a lot of other people that are <laughs> feeling like that too, that are your tribe Absolutely. and are going to allow you to find that success and, and really support you in building that success as well. Absolutely. And it's a conversation that happens quite, you know, I have a 15 year old, you know, um, who identifies as a girl who lives West side LA and goes to school in Santa Monica. And she's constantly doubting who she is. And it's like, look, you are who you are. You know, it's like getting to that place of acceptance. It takes a long time. Yeah. And I remember like, 
high school is difficult for people like it was in middle school and all that like that's difficult challenging time of like sort of like going through your own identity i don't want to call it a crisis but your own identity realization of who you are it's like that doesn't really stop and it can be facilitated and and helped when you start to find people that you do connect with but that is a process and people do come in and out of your life and you kind of got to just like you got to roll with it and like just because somebody's they've shifted they don't like you as much when you're a teenager. That doesn't mean that they're not going to come back around. That doesn't mean that you suck. That doesn't mean that you're dumb. That doesn't mean you're ugly. Like none of that applies. That's all very subjective. And what I'm trying to say is as we get older, that becomes less and less important. And what becomes important is really like finding and staying connected to the people that really do connect with your light. They, they really hold you up. They want you around. And some of those people are going to get jobs or like if they're ambitious, they're going to probably land, you know, and they're going to be like, hey, I need somebody to do some music. It's like, cool, hit me up, you know, because we're friends, right? Ultimately, we come from a similar place. And I think a lot of people, they just kind of like shoot themselves out of that equation early on because they just feel like shit. And our society, unfortunately, feeds a lot of that belief system, whether it's not just social media and media in general, but like there are the people that want to like you know, you shine your light and like the crazier or whatever the creative people find that. But then there's also like you shine your light and there's people that are there trying to put it out. Right. right. And it's that happened to me multiple times, you know, where it's like it was a pattern. And how do you stop that? Well, deal for me, the only way was to like, OK, I just have to be better. Right. I just have to get my skills so good in a sense what society or whoever thinks it's good. Somebody with third party validation is real. And it's like that was the only way I could figure this mm-hmm. out, you know, like other it's like I would have just forget I would have given up and I don't know what I would have done, but I don't think I would have been a really good insurance salesman. No offense to insurance <laughs> sales people. I'm just saying like I probably wouldn't. I'm not one to like sell something, you, you know, know, your talents I'm, or whatever, you know what your skills are. Yeah. And it's like I think that that it would have been very easy at a certain point to just give up and like screw this. <laughs> I don't need the pain and the suffering, you know, but ultimately, if you keep setting your intentions and you find the discipline, you keep showing up. And you keep working, eventually, 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 you're going to get better. And people will start to respond. And, and I mean better in the sense of like undeniable, like, hey, that's pretty good. Cool. And then at a certain point, something's going to connect. But it's getting yourself through that sort of dark, hazy, weird state. That is very challenging. I do feel like it starts very early on in life. Um, oh, yeah. It did for me, you know. Um and I, and I think that like religion has its place. It's like if you can connect with a community, great. But sometimes that community (laughs) can be toxic as well. I'm just saying, like, if you can find, like, truth and, like, sincere people to really build your tribe or, like, find those people, don't forget that. That's almost more important than the actual people. It's just like, oh, connection, right? Oh, I connected with these people. The validation of that is, like, that is life-changing. That's what you're going to get out of it, right? Luis is a font of inspiration and thoughtfulness. There are so many gems to pull from this conversation. I hope that it's inspired you to hone your talents and to find the tribe that's not only going to support your goals and dreams, but also help you succeed in reaching them. Please check the show notes for links and be sure to come back next week for part two of this incredible talk when we'll talk about multiple sclerosis and how this disease affects Luis's life. 
as well as his numerous musical accomplishments. Be sure to follow Luis on his Instagram and help him raise funds for the National MS Society to continue research for the cure of this life-altering disease. Please also take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you, so be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com, all at The Queen Trail Podcast. That's T H E Q U A I N T R E L L E Podcast. I am Syl Annan, The Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, grace, courage, intentional pursuit of goals, a positive energy shift finding your tribe, elegance, and beauty.